0: Get your seatbelt on today because uh, today we have some intense work to do and it'll get a little bit bumpy, especially at the beginning, but it's the really good kind of bumpy. As you know, we are swimming together in this Advent season in the very deep and the very mysterious waters of the doctrine of God and specifically the doctrine of his moral perfections. And we're meditating on this idea that in all things, all things, the living God is perfect. Just take our breath away. Now, over the last two weeks, we have talked about how God is infinitely perfect in his patience with us and then infinitely perfect in his goodness toward us. Now, today we're going to press into another moral perfection of God's. And this one has some sharper edges to it. Today we're going to deal with this truth that God is infinitely perfect in justice, or that God is just. All right, now if I said to you guys, how many of you uh, are for justice? How does everybody feel about justice? Well, what's your immediate response? I love it. I'm totally down with justice. This is great. It's funny, I talked to Trevor before dedicating Gemma, and I said, hey, we're preaching on the justice of God. And he said, great, I love it, good. And that's the proper first reaction that someone would have to the word justice. If you show me someone who has the moral quality of being just or fair when making judgments, when assigning rewards and punishments, when enforcing law, I would say, great, we are Love justice. We've got that lady with the blindfold on our dollar bill. Have you seen her? And we rejoice in that because it's a symbol of a legal system, hopefully in our country, that is blind and fair and just and impartial. I know all you guys grew up wishing that you were superheroes and you could live in the hall of justice and be on the Justice League. Wonder twin powers activate form of... A puddle and I'm gonna drown the bad guys I just lost everybody under 30 in this room <laughs> but if you're under 30 you do love CSI and you love law and order some of you ladies actually like cold case why is this it's because we rejoice when evil or criminals are caught and prosecuted and punished and justice rolls. we are fine with that When we see injustice in our world, something in us bears up and wants to see those wrongs made right. It's because we're created in the image of God. There's something in us that knows there is right, there is wrong, and right should be rewarded and wrong should be punished. We are all for justice. All right, because of that, we immediately, instinctively, naturally are very glad When our earthly judges, who are responsible to execute justice, get it right and do it well. I'll just give you a simple example. My dentist, when I was a boy, uh, my dentist was on Victory Boulevard. It's a spooky place for a kid to begin with. And every time I went to the dentist between age 6 or 7 and 10 or 11, I had cavities, lots of cavities, like four or five at a time, And then the next time would come over in two or three. Now, granted, huge sweet tooth runs in the Cruz family. Um, But that was a painful experience for me. Well, you know what was going on there? This dentist was not finding cavities in my mouth. He was patting his pocket by conveniently finding cavities in the mouths of all the kids who lived in this Staten Island neighborhood of Westerly. And so every time I went, I had cavities, whether or not I had cavities. Well, can you imagine my joy, my confusion as a child, so I'm brushing like crazy, I'm flossing with rope, I'm doing everything that I can, two cavities, four cavities, just, you know, a great hatred for dentists was was born in my heart that God is freeing me from at this point. Well, do you know what happened? Several years later, that dentist was found out for this practice. And what was my reaction when I read in the paper that he was judged in justice and found to be guilty of fraud and had his license to practice his dentistry revoked permanently? I was glad. I just went after like six straight lollipops. Boom, 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 boom. You know those bags of Tootsie Rolls? I downed one of those. Why? Justice was served, the judge who was over that case, he got it right. We understand that we are for justice. And yet, as much as we love talking justice when it comes to others sinning against us or criminals sinning against our society, we do not like talking justice when it comes to us sinning against God. We rejoice when an earthly judge is just, but we don't like to think about God being a judge who is just. And why is that? It's because to talk about the justice of God necessarily means talking about uncomfortable things like judgment and wrath and fury and punishment on sin. And nobody likes to talk about those things in church anymore. Especially in our generation. You feeling this? We live in a time and a place where preachers avoid the doctrine of the justice of God, like I avoid Tom Brady's choice of footwear. Have you heard about that? Uggs? You have a much better chance of seeing me wearing Uggs up in this, Mandy gets it, in this pulpit than you do of hearing somebody in the just north of Boston area actually talking to you about the doctrine of God's justice. It's not going to happen. That's because we live in the wake of over 100 years of the heresy of modernism, liberalism, slowly getting its hands around the throat of our churches and the apostolic gospel that needs to be preached in here. This guy Richard Niebuhr said it best. He said, we have embraced a new gospel and this is it. We have a God without wrath who has brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the work of a Christ, without a cross. You hear it in there? A God without wrath is what? He is a God who is not bothered by sin, a God who does not hold his creatures to account for his holiness, a God who just lets stuff go, a God who does not judge wickedness, a God who is only patient and kind and good a God who is not also just. That's the gospel in in our country in deep ways. Now, gladly, that is not who the God of the Bible is. He is patient and he is good, yes, but he is also just, perfectly just. And my hope for you guys today is by the time we're done, you come to see that that is a really good thing. Okay, I'm going to read through this text, and it's one of those old-school, tough judgment texts. Remember what we have said in this whole series? As we peer into the character of God, two responses in our soul, fear and wonder, trembling at who He is and reveling in who He is, shaking in our nice white Adidas and lifting our hands in worship. Same exact reactions should be happening to you today as we hear this text and as we come to see that God is perfectly just. We tremble at his justice and we also revel in his justice. This is Genesis 18. It's the story of a couple of wicked cities called Sodom and the city called Gomorrah. I'm going to start at verse 22, give you a taste of this, and then jump down to God's judgment on these cities. Genesis eighteen twenty-two. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then when Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous in that city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked, far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, if I find at Sodom 50 Righteous in the city. I will spare the whole place for their sake. Jump down to 19 and verse 23, and I'll read this paragraph and then we'll pray. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley, and all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. Let's pray. Father, we come to your word. We're not ashamed of it. It is life to us, but we do need the grace of your spirit to come and help our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our hearts to respond to the doctrine of your perfect justice. Would you be good to 7 Mile Road this morning as we press into those things? Hear my prayer and answer answer, I pray. Amen. Okay, so I've got news, and then I've got good news, and then I've got just even better news. That's how we're going to flow in this sermon. Let me start with the news. The news is this. God is a holy judge who necessarily punishes sin. All right, scattered throughout your Bible are stories like the one that I just read and others which seem to be these sudden stories where God executes judgment on people in very intense ways, sort of like out of nowhere and all of a sudden. Um, We tend to avoid those stories when we can, but when we do read them or we do hear about them, we get this impression that the God of the Bible, and especially the God of the Older Testament, the first part of the Bible, he has these really bad days when he wakes up on the wrong side of his cloud and he just says, That's it. I'm going to go off on somebody today. Somebody's going to get hit and hurt very hard. I'm going to let someone have it. And then, boom, we get this story of God arbitrarily, unfairly, suddenly doing something really harsh and really terrible, which usually includes someone's death or maybe the death of a whole city. You know those stories? Um, these are justice stories. The prototype for all of these stories, which has justice and also grace mixed in, is the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. How does this go? That God, in his grace, and and a perfectly holy, perfectly loving, perfectly good, triune God, created man and woman in his image. He placed them in a beautiful garden, and they were called to love him and to be loved by him. And as his creatures, Adam and Eve, our, our father and mother, owed God perfect obedience and unwavering allegiance and glad submission, that would have been a right response to the grace of their creator. For these guys to even think about rebelling against their gracious, sovereign God, no less to actually do it, it would have just been so unthinkable and so ridiculous and so ungrateful and so treasonous and so wicked and so wrong that you would probably not believe me if I told you that that is exactly what they did. But that is exactly what they did. God had given them a very clear command of his word. Do not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He was, wasn't keeping it for, from them. He was holding it for them as they grew into their holiness before him. And he gave them a warning of judgment, a command of his word. If you eat from the fruit of the tree, you will surely die. Very long and very sad story, made really short. They both disobey God's word. They eat of the fruit of the tree and God judges them the just penalty for their sin even that one seemingly simple sin is death that is always what every sin deserves and so god judges adam and eve they are removed from the sanctuary garden of eden and death enters the story of man as a punishment on sin now we see that and we say oh man one sin that's pretty harsh No, that is right, justice from God, with all kinds of grace mixed into their story. But then there are other stories in the scriptures that I need us to see today, where it's only the justice side of God that appears in the stories, and they just take us back. So let me run through a couple of them very briefly so you get a feel for what inflexible justice is supposed to look like. Have you heard of Nadab and Abihu? These were Aaron's sons in the Older Covenant. They were raised up to be priests like their father. God had prescribed a specific way that worship was to be done among his people. One day, Nahab and Abihu decided to mess with the word and the command of God to experiment with worship, to do it in a way that God had not commanded. And so they introduced some fire to the worship of the Lord, and God jumped out from that with fire, from their fire, and consumed them immediately, gone, dead. Judgment in an instant. Six terrifying verses in the book of Leviticus. What was it that pure justice called for in that moment? Exactly what happened. Their sin against God deserves the punishment of death. In this scene, we see that. Would you, would you, can you see what inflexible justice feels like? That's a hard story. Let me give you another one. Have you heard of Uzzah? Probably not. Uzzah was a Koharite. The Koharites were in charge with keeping the vessels of God perfectly holy for their use in worship. In his training, Uzzah was told, no matter what happens, you do not touch the ark of God with your hands. This is the ark of God. You are a sinner. If you were to touch this, it would be to profane what is sacred. You don't do it. One day the ark is being brought from a victorious battle back to Jerusalem and Uzzah is hanging with the ark because that's his job and the donkey hits a pothole and it begins to stumble and the ark is about to crash to the ground. And Uzzah, in reaction forgets everything that he was taught, forgets the word of God's command to him, and he reaches out to steady the Ark of the Covenant. And what does God say or do to Uzzah? Does he say, thank you, Uzzah, for grabbing that because it was going to fall to the ground and that would have been bad news? No. What happens? The scripture says that the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah and God struck him down because of his error And he died right there beside the ark of God. You see what has happened here? In this moment, God has chosen to execute pure, righteous justice. He should have known better. For him to touch the ark is to profane the sacred. And in that story, God, uninhibited by mercy or grace right there, just justice, punishes him and takes his life. To sin against God is a very intense thing. I'll give you one more story. This one's from the New Covenant, because sometimes, like my grandfather, we think that it's only God of the Old Covenant who's mean like that and holy, and then he gets very nice and fuzzy in the New Covenant. It's the same God. Ananias and Sapphira were a part of the early church. People were generously coming and giving their possessions so that all could... um, have something to eat, somewhere to live, caring for each other in that way. And some of them were selling their homes and giving all of the money to the church. And Ananias, along with his wife, they sell one of their homes, but they put some of the money in their pocket and give some of it to the church, but pretend before God like they're giving it all so that they can get a great pat on the back. And God, by his spirit, reveals to Peter what's been done, and he calls Ananias to account And he says, what in the world have you done? Why have you lied to the Holy Spirit in this way? And in that moment, what happens to Ananias? He is immediately taken by the Lord. Sapphira comes in, the same story again, and her as well. You see this simple story, uninhibited by mercy or grace right here. This is justice. This is the judge judging in righteousness, giving sin its just reward. What did justice call for in all three of those stories? The punishment of death, the wages of sin is death. Okay, I could give you a whole bunch more. Let me stop there. What are these stories in the scripture saying to us? They are reminding us that God is a holy judge who must and does and will punish sin. See, because God is also so patient and so merciful and so long-suffering and so kind and so rarely does he uh, unleash his immediate justice, we can forget about this very important truth about God. And so at different points in redemptive history, God reminds us or he allows us to see what his justice uninhibited by grace, uninhibited by mercy, untouched by his uh, goodness in that moment, just his pure justice, what that is like. And when a perfectly holy God gives a sinner exactly what justice demands, it is terrifying. These justice stories show us what is supposed to happen to sinners when they sin. When we read them, we are not supposed to think that shouldn't have happened to them. When we read them, we are supposed to think this is what should happen immediately to every sinner purely based on justice. So here's my news. Be informed that God is a judge who has the responsibility and the power to execute justice, and we will all give an account of our lives before this judge. Okay, that's the news. Here's some good news. This God who will judge us is perfectly just. So now I'm pressing into the doctrine of of the justice of God. Moses says this as beautifully as anybody in the scriptures. Uh, His very last words, his very last song, he begins it with this refrain. It's beautiful. God the rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice. He is a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. There's the doctrine of the justice of God. Can you hear it in there? There are no mistakes made when God judges. He does not play favorites. He never shows partiality and winks at his buddy to get him off the hook while someone else suffers who shouldn't. He is not lacking any information when he comes to execute justice. He never gets a case wrong. He is always, every time, perfect in his justice. The good news is that this is what kind of a judge ours is. Okay, another way of saying this is to say that God is not like Dexter. Do you guys know about this show? So this is one of those points where not recommending that you watch this show, but using it as a cultural artifact to help make this point to you. Somebody told me I had to jump online and just check out the basics of the show because it was so unique. Here's what's going on with this show. This guy, Dexter, is a serial killer, but he's a good guy. He has appointed himself a judge of all those that the system has failed to convict who are actually guilty. So episode by episode by episode, he waits till someone who is guilty of a crime has a technicality in their case where they get off. But here comes Dexter to execute justice on the person who thought that they had gotten free. It's a very dark kind of a show, sort of a little twist on on that and there. Here's the thing that troubled me deeply in the couple of episodes that I have checked out. Dexter is a judge, but he is not like God. So there's this one scene where he gets his next target, whose life he's going to take in judgment And he thinks that this person deserves to die. And so he's going to make sure that they do. And in this scene, about two seconds before he does his deed, the person blurts out some new information that Dexter did not previously know about. And all of a sudden, he lowers his knife and he pauses. And they have this conversation. And this new information changes his mind. And he lets this person go. And I was terrified in that moment to think, what would it be like to have a judge who has the power to execute justice but doesn't have all the facts? Later on in this other episode that I saw, he actually allows the life of someone to be taken so that he can go free. Are you feeling that injustice in there? He had the power to do what was right, but to spare his own neck, Dexter, the great judge of this series, allows an innocent person to be victimized so that he can skate free. I have very good news for you guys. God is not a judge like that. Whenever he executes justice, he always does it perfectly, patiently, carefully, and righteously. This is why I read to you the story of Sodom and, fr- Sodom and Gomorrah from that text earlier. What's going on in this story? God is getting ready to judge these two cities down in the valley for their unrepentant, vicious sin. You guys know what Vegas is like at about 2 a.m. on a Friday morning? That's what Sodom and Gomorrah were like 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Social injustice, sexual perversion, citywide violence, just a huge mess. And so God decided to execute justice on those cities. And the text says that this is what happened. This is the Lord speaking. He says, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down and see whether they have done all together according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Now this is a very weird story in the Bible, right? Couldn't God kind of have checked in on these cities from his throne in heaven pretty easily without, you know, getting up? What is this thing about the Lord taking on the, the, coming as the angel of the Lord the way that would happen in the older covenant to take a really good and careful look at Sodom and Gomorrah, to smell the place, to actually go visit it before he executes justice on it. Did he really have to come down and see in order to know what was going on? No, that's not the point. He comes so that we would have a story where we can get a taste and a feel for what it is like when God readies himself to execute justice so that we could watch his deliberations and know that he is perfectly just. Abraham, whose nephew Lot was living in the city at this time, hears about God's intentions to judge the city, and he has this fascinating conversation with the Lord about it. Abraham heard about this coming, and this is what he says. The text says, Abraham stood before the Lord, and he said these words, Will you indeed... Sweep away the righteous with the wicked. What would that be if God did that? That would be unjust, right? Sweeping away the righteous with the wicked. If God was like that, if he did that kind of thing, that would be bad news for those who sit under his judgment. If he was the kind of God who would not differentiate between good and evil, you would not want that God to judge you. Abraham says like this, suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? And then Abraham catches himself and what does he say? He says, far be it from you to ever do such a thing. To put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked, far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is Just, And what is the answer to Abraham's rhetorical question right there? What's the answer? Yes. Yes. The God who judges the earth always, always, always does what is just. What does the Lord say to Abraham? He says, if I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then if you know the story, I didn't read the whole thing, but they go back and forth. Well, what if you find 40? I will spare the place for their sake. What if you find 30? I will spare the place for their sake. I will do what is right. What if you find 20? I will do what is right. What if you find 10? I will do what is right. God is careful. patient and slow and righteous in executing justice. Now, does God relent in his judgment in that story? No. We read it. He pours out his wrath on those cities. But what's the point of the story? He is perfectly just in his judgment on their sin. And that is always the case. And I need you guys to hear this. this is very good news today. Not only is God perfectly patient and perfectly good, He is perfectly just. The judge is just, you guys. The wicked will not stand. Don't worry. The innocent will never be condemned. Don't worry. All wrongs will be made right. God will never do anyone wrong He will never miss anything. He will never rush to judgment. He will never judge unfairly. He is infinitely perfect in his justice. And so you will and I will get exactly what we deserve. Justice will roll because God is just. Now there is something in us that revels in that good news because we are for justice in our core. Until what happens? Until we take a good listen to what I actually just said and we realize that God giving us perfectly fair justice means huge trouble for us because we too are sinners at our core. We are, in a sense, Sodom. We are, in a sense, Uzzah. We are, Nahab. We are, Abihu, we are Ananias. We are supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, all our strength. Give him perfect allegiance. Honor his holiness with submission and love. We are supposed to love our neighbor as ourself. If God is my judge, it is great that he is going to judge me perfectly and righteously. But if there is perfect justice, I am done. And Here is where the best news comes in. So the news was what? Yeah, there is a judge who will judge all men. The good news was what? When he does that, it will be righteous because the judge is perfectly just. And the very best news is this. So blow your mind. The perfectly just judge who will judge us has already taken our judgment on himself so that we can escape the just wrath that we deserve and instead receive life. Let me abbreviate that for you and I'll just say it like this. The best news is that our judge is Jesus. All right, if there was one second left on the clock and the Celts were down by one and you were just begging for somebody to get fouled, who would that person be that you are desperate to see step to the free throw line in that minute? Don't say Shaq, please. (laughs) It's Ray Allen, right? One of the greatest shooters in NBA history, a buttery stroke over 90% from the line. If you see number 20 going to the line, You rejoice. If there was a fisticuffs about to go down in the back schoolyard and you needed one of our pastors to come down and throw on your side, who would you want that to be? Neither of the mats, right? (laughs) You'll take Kevin. He's tough as nails. You'll take Joey. He grew up in Lynn. You'll take Brent. He's a captain in the Army. You'll take Justin. Uh, Can it not be Matt or or Matt, and especially the Matt that's up front, Please. Right? You see Joey out there with you, and what? <laughs> Is that a good thing? That's who I would want out there with me. I would rejoice if Joey was my Tony and I was Riff or whichever way that one works. Okay. All right. Hold that in your mind, and let me ask you a glorious question and an important one. If you knew that you were going to stand before the judge of your soul, who would you want it to be? who has been given the authority to judge you? How about the perfectly just one who has given his life to make you righteous? Man, would that be the best news in the world? And that's the great news of the gospel. This is why I read from Romans 3 to begin earlier today. Paul is laying out the hard doom that I have hit you guys with today. I love it that you're still with me. The doom that is faced by every one of us because of our sin. He says, hey, Jew, Gentile, man, woman, hip-hop, country, all of the above, all of us, there is no distinction for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, all are Nahab, all are Uzzah, all are Sodom, all are Adam, All of us should be on the receiving end of condemnation of the inflexible and fierce, righteous justice of God on our utter contempt for his glory, his love, his grace, his holiness. Except for what? What's the best news? Except for the fact that, verse 24, we have been justified by his grace, through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. You must not know exactly what that means because if you did, you would be shouting and hollering in joy right now. So let me lay this out for you. Propitiation is a big word that means wrath absorber or wrath taker. In other words, Jesus Christ endured the penalty that we deserved for our sin. Remember, God is just. I've been telling you that for 35 minutes now. The penalty for our sin had to come. Justice had to roll somewhere. And the punishment that should land on us has landed on Jesus. The fire And the brimstone that should have dropped on our sin dropped on Jesus on the cross. The death that we should have died. The wages that we should have paid. It was taken by Jesus. Justice was served on the cross. What does this mean? This means that we can be found righteous when our time comes to be judged. That in love, Jesus already bore our wrath. It's already done. And so when we would stand before our judge, we have hope that he can remain perfectly just and we can simultaneously be justified. That's the gospel. Verse 25 it was to show his righteousness so that he might be just and everything Pastor Matt has said today stands and so that he might be the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. What a surprise, what a delight that our sin has been taken away and that the one who took it away will judge us. Jonathan Edwards says it like this way better than I could have said it. So just hear it with me. It is for the abundant consolation of the saints. In other words, something we should be super jacked about. That their own redeemer is appointed to be their judge. You feeling that? That the same person who spilled his blood for them has the determination or the judgment of their state left in his hands so that they need not doubt, but that they shall have what he was at so much cost to procure for them. And then he says this, what matter of joy to them will it be on the last day to lift up their eyes And behold the person in whom they have trusted for their salvation, the one to whom they have fled for their refuge, the one upon whom they have built as their foundation for eternity, the one whose voice they have often heard inviting them to himself for protection and safety, coming to judge them. Seven Mile Road, this is the best news of all about the justice of God. Jesus is your judge. Jesus is my judge. He is the one who will judge us in perfect justice. And because he went to the cross, he will be able to find us who have repented of our sin and put our trust in him, not guilty. Can you see now why we are always pressing back to where are you at with Jesus? He will be your judge. Is he your redeemer? Rejoice with me, revel with me that all sin will be punished that there is a holy God who pours out his wrath on all wickedness and a day is coming when all wrongs will be made right. Rejoice with me that God is just and also rejoice with me that he is so full of grace that he made a way to remain just and to give you life. Let's pray together. Father, forgive us for thinking that you're mean or arbitrary or harsh. Instead, let us revel in the fact that you are perfectly just. Unlike any earthly judge, you always do what is right. The answer to Abraham's question, shall not the judge of the earth do what is just? We, as a congregation, shout, yes, you are perfect in your justice. And Father, we also revel in your wisdom that you have called your Son to authority to be the one to judge us, the same one who gave his life and took our wrath so that we could be made right. We revel in your justice and we revel in your grace. I pray that we would cling to the cross of Jesus, tremble because of our sin, but worship because of the way that you have made a way for us to be passed over, to be justified, to inherit life with you. Thank you that you are just, and thank you that you are the one who justifies. Amen.